I would invite you to turn your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter. We'll start reading with verse 28. While you're turning, let me say that we appreciate your presence here this evening, and we are honored to be with you. The week is going by uh, hurriedly, and uh, I'm trying to remember as much as I can and try to put this in my brain where I can remember this when I'm as old as Jay Henderson and can, and can re- recollect this meeting because I, th- I have thoroughly enjoyed being with you up to this point and uh, such a great honor for me to be with you and to worship with you. Uh, the meeting will continue through Sunday afternoon, let me add that. And if you're visiting, we want you welcome to know that you're welcome back at every opportunity that you can come. Our study this evening will be based on a passage found in John, the 18th chapter, and we're going to read uh, beginning with verse 28 this evening. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall, and again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Now I want to begin the lesson this evening by telling all of the Bible scholars and theology students uh, out there that this is not my intent to go into an in-depth discussion on what is truth and to go into some theological discourse on what is truth. That's not my intent at all. We simply wouldn't have time and I probably would not have the ability to uh, keep your attention on such a subject. I realize how big of a subject this is. I've studied the Bible my entire life too, and I realize how big of a subject it is. However, this is a subject, especially in today's society, that we need to touch on some things, and we need to understand some things of what Jesus is saying to Pilate, and the value of truth. I was taught principles when I was a young boy that anything that was attained, if it was attained in any other way, except truth, it was not worth having. 
And I believe that. And I'm standing before you this evening to tell you the same thing. Anything that we attain in life, if it's not attained through truth, it's simply not worth having. We live in a society today where people will sell the truth for a nickel. And it's more convenient for them to tell, a, tell the truth, they'll tell a lie. And if you don't believe it, uh, just get out and try to get in the marketplace in any fashion whatsoever you want to. We know that's, to be tr- that's true. Furthermore, the truth has become so undervalued that we do not even understand or begin to comprehend the necessity of it. In rearing our children and teaching our children the value of truth. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Well, there's a lot of ways, I suppose, to try to illustrate truth. This is one that I've chosen. If you can see that on the board, I've got a line between truth and lies and evil and goodness in parenthesis. And if I could have, I would have put them as far apart as into infinity. This is to illustrate that truth is to evil as light is to darkness. They cannot coexist. There is a cave back home in my county. They advertise it to be the second largest cave in the United States. I don't know if that's the case or not. I haven't measured it. But they advertise it that way. But I've been in that cave. And in every commercial cave, I suppose, in the United States, no matter its size, they're going to pull something on you. They'll get you down there in that hole in the ground, and they're going to turn the lights off. And all natural light is gone. And all artificial light is gone. And then they tell you to put your hand in front of your face and you can almost feel the darkness. I'm going to tell you that truth is as far away to lies as light is to darkness. They cannot coexist. And you and I have been trying to mingle perhaps in our life ever since the fall of Adam trying to mingle this truth and lies together in our life and trying to walk hand in hand with them. But they won't work. I think about darkness and I can't help but think about hell. Jesus calls it outer darkness. What's he trying to tell us? When he describes hell as outer darkness, I was discussing a man's spiritual state with him not too long ago. And he was telling me that he was away from God. He was telling me that God hadn't spoken to him lately and that he didn't have anything for God right now because God wasn't having anything for him. And in the next 30 seconds of the conversation... It went from that to growing his garden and sitting out on his back porch every morning and watching the hummingbirds feed. And I told him, and I'll tell you, there's not going to be any hummingbirds in hell. And there's not going to be any light in hell. 
It's outer darkness and they cannot coexist and goodness cannot exist in hell. And we think about lies and we think about truth as if they could coexist and we can marry lies and we can marry and be walking in the truth. Jesus says it can't happen. 1 John 1 verses 5 and 6 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If you're here this evening and you're walking in darkness, get this verse. If you're walking in sin and your life is, in a, is walking in, in lies, you're not in fellowship with God. In Him is no darkness at all. So Jesus said, I am the truth. Our view of truth in our current society, and I've got, I don't know how well you can see this slide either. This slide, I've got a timeline, if you will, to illustrate the point that I want to make. We'll call that religious practice. You could call it political practice, but since uh, we're in a church building and we're studying the Bible. Let's call it religious practice. Now, right wing, and I did this on purpose too, we've got liberal. <laughs> and left wing over here, we've got conservative. And we look at our life and we look at our religious practice and we look at it on this line and we say, well, I'm more conservative because, well, I do such and such and I won't allow such and such. Or another person might say, I'm more liberal. And it, our, our view of truth is relative to where we are on the line of what I'm practicing, what I'm doing. Our view of truth ceases to be absolute but we start looking at our life as more conservative or more liberal. And of course, conservative and liberal are terms that are strictly, strictly relative. You have to compare it to something. What's even more scary is I had it explained to me by a fella that truth is relative to where you are on the line of life. So I wanted to try to describe for you his belief and his practice. And I will keep his religion nameless so we won't call any names. But he said that truth is relative to where you are on the line. We'll call this line life. Now if I'm living somewhere in the middle here, then I'm middle of the road in my view of truth. And if I'm more evil, then, I, uh, then I'm more false. Obviously, if people like us, you and I, were coming to church, we'd be over on this line. We'd be in this area of the line. We'd be more toward goodness. Now, a lot of people, and I don't know, maybe you've even shared some of these thoughts, and maybe you've had some of these thoughts. When I die... Where am I on the line? 
Am I more good or am I more evil? Now, of course, this end of the line down here would be reserved for murderers, adulterers, thieves. Been trying to baptize a fellow now for several years, and his explanation of his uh, life is this. He said, I'm not a bad fellow. And he's not. If you want to compare bad to everybody else. He said, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I take care of my family. I do all those things. So therefore, hell is made for bad people. And that's what hell's made for. So therefore, I'm not concerned about my soul because hell's made for bad people. You know that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, you grew up thinking that way. I did too. You get punished when you're bad, and when you're really bad, you get really punished. <laughs> and if you're a good boy or a good girl, you get rewarded. Santa Claus comes to see you, and so on and so forth. You get the message. So we live our life with our view of truth as somewhere relative on the line. We start making our religious practice the same way I want to be more conservative than I am liberal because conservative generally states that you're a good person, you have good values. I want to be more true than I am a lie, but I can still walk with this lie because after all, I mean, nobody, nobody tells the truth all the time, do they? My dad used to tell me when I was growing up that God could not lie. Now, as a 12, 13-year-old boy, I had a hard time understanding that. After all, I didn't have many problems with it. Why didn't God have a problem with lying? I could do it. Especially if, you know, if the pressure got on me. But I'm going to tell you, God cannot lie because whatever he says is going to happen, and it's going to happen just that way. So this view of truth, of relative to where you are on the line, if you believe certain things, you've got to believe this. If you believe, take for instance, that new revelations are occurring today, then you've got to believe this. If you believe that you can attain absolute goodness while you're in this life, then you've got to believe that. But brethren, we never attain absolute goodness. If you believe that you can be saved by works, then you have to believe that. That truth is relative to where you are on the line. When, you're, when you die, if you're more good than you are bad, then you go on and go be, be with God. But brethren, we cannot be saved by works. We can never attain absolute goodness. Sounds like we're in trouble. Galatians 5 verses 3 and 4 says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. 
I'm speaking to people this evening that know exactly what I'm talking about because you've tried. You've tried to be absolutely good, and you haven't. You've tried to live a life of perfection, but you've failed. And furthermore, all it takes is one sin. Galatians 5 and 5 says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. I wonder if you're expecting to go to heaven by the law of averages. A lot of people are. Somebody's got to be saved. <laughs> Might as well be me. And furthermore, if I can persuade God that he or she, that they're worse than me, then maybe I can go to heaven. After all, if truth is relative to where you are on the line of life, then I can do that. And then I could start trying to attain certain status in this life. And who knows, I might even become some kind of person with a great amount of influence. And if I can become a person with a great amount of influence, then surely God will be persuaded that to let me into heaven. I want to tell you, if you're expecting to go to heaven by the law of averages, you can quit expecting it all. James 2 and 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Think about that verse for a moment. You could live your entire life and be 99 years old and never have committed a sin. And then on your dying bed, have a sinful thought and lose your soul. Because goodness is as far from evil as light is to darkness. One particle of light and it ceases to be darkness. One particle of evil and it ceases to be goodness. Romans 7 verse 18 says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. That's your story and my story, and I'm here to tell you this evening, that was the Apostle Paul's story. You think about a man like the Apostle Paul, and he says, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Can you relate to that? Can you say amen to that in your life? I certainly can. Are you expecting to go to heaven by the law of averages? Look at Hebrews 12, verse 2. The writer here says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame or thinking little of the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author and finisher of our faith, so Pilate, when he asked, what is truth? His reply to Jesus, what is truth? He was really saying this. He's saying truth is what I say it is. Think about Pilate's life for a moment. Here he is. He is a man of great authority. People are brought before him and their life depend on what his judgments are. 
He is a man who can say, let him live or let him die. He is a man who all of the government authorities respect and they know. So when Jesus says, I am the truth, Pilate's saying, well, truth is what I say it is. Does that sound familiar with anybody you know today? Truth is what I say it is. And then Pilate says, who can know the truth? Have you ever met anybody or have you ever thought truth is not knowable? Since we can't attain it, then how can we know it? And who can attain the truth? Why, all of us have lived in a fallen world all of our life. And we've seen lies propagated. And we've even been guilty of a few. So Pilate was saying this. He's saying truth is relative and it's not absolute. I've got a definition for you on the board that I want you to look at. This is the world that we live in. This world of relativism. The definition reads this. It says the philosophized notion that right and wrong are not absolute values but are personalized according to the individual. Now pay attention to this definition. It's personalized. Right and wrong become personalized according to the individual and his or her circumstances or cultural orientation. It can be used positively to affect change in the law. Uh, an example would be promoting tolerance for other customs or lifestyles or negatively as means to attempt justification for wrongdoing or law-breaking. Now that's the world that we live in. Let's personalize right and wrong. Now if this sounds like an old-fashioned sermon to you, I'm not going to apologize for that because I've grown up in a, in a day and time when right and wrong has been tried to be personalized to the point that people won't call a sin a sin. They'll call it anything but a sin. And we live in a society that wants to embrace relativism. Now the society doesn't bother me too much. I'll be frank with you. I'm not too terribly tore up about this society because I understand. I believe I have good understanding of what Jesus said and what he meant when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. But it does bother me if relativism creeps into the church, into the kingdom of God, and this philosophized notion starts finding root among us. I know society's going to embrace this. They always have. I know people like Pilate will always embrace it. They always have. But brethren, we cannot embrace it in God's kingdom. Absolutism, on the other hand, espouses a fundamental natural law of constant values and rules and which judges all persons equally irrespective of individual circumstances or cultural differences. I like those two definitions. I think they are accurate. 
I think that absolutism is a good definition for what Jesus is trying to convey to us when he says, I am the truth. I believe absolutism is a good definition of a natural law of constant values and rules that we need to espouse in our own personal life. We live in a world of relativism. Society is constantly changing. I've said this. I might have said it this week. I don't, honestly don't remember. Uh, but the debate, that, the debates that are going on in our society today, many of the debates are just simply ludicrous to even have the debate. The debate over same-sex marriage, the debate over abortion, these debates, they're ludicrous to even have them. But since we live in a society of relativism, these debates are going to occur among those forces that embrace relativism. If the line is constantly moving, then society constantly moves, and what happened 50 years ago is going to be changed 50 years from now, and what's going to change uh, tomorrow may be something totally different. And people of the world, like Pilate, and like so many people, embrace that. But the problem is, is when it comes into our churches. Now the man who is embracing relativism, he says, you can't tell me what's right and what's wrong. I don't want to hear a sermon like that. You can't tell me God's word because after all, God's word is antiquated. It's happened over 6,000 period, a year period. All of this historical stuff. So you better not tell me that. And I'll tell you what happens to us, brethren. fellow comes in from the world and he sits down on our pew and he looks around and he measures himself by us and since we are failures he looks at us and he says they're all failures they're no better than I am and then you've got a sinful preacher that stands up in front of him and he starts espousing the truth and he tells the truth and he preaches the word of God to this individual. But the word of God is sharp and it's quick. And it's true. And he sits there or she sits there and she starts to squirm and he starts to squirm. Why? Well, it convicts. Truth always convicts. Truth always will change a person if, it, if they allow the truth to come into their heart. Jesus said, I am the truth. Sometimes that individual that is set on the pew and they look around at their neighbor and they start living in this relative society and they start comparing each other and then they hear the truth and they think that it's the people that's making them uncomfortable when in fact it's the word of God. Brethren, you and I have to hold the Word of God up as truth. And we have to continue to preach it as an absolute unchanging factor. Even though you and I fail and we are never on this line of absolute goodness. And brethren, you and I can't afford to fall into the trap of setting other measures of our life other than Jesus Christ. 
If you want to find something wrong with me, it'll take you a very short period of time to find something wrong with me. I promise you that. And most likely the tables could be turned. That's just the way it is. So our society is constantly changing and therefore uh, we live in this world of relativism and we wonder what we're going to do. Views of right and wrong are constantly changing. You can think back in your life, anybody that's here that's older than 20 years old, probably 10 years old if you sit down and talk to them, but 20 years old, you've had some experience in life, but you've seen changes. You've seen changes of what people accepted and what they rejected. That's not because of absolutism. It's because of relativism. It's because people want to personalize and change the Word of God and the truth of God. We have an attempt going right now to redefine morality. And the things that they call of redefining morality can be better stated by saying amorality. No morality whatsoever. I had a fellow tell me in Alabama, he said, you're going to go to prison one day if you keep preaching like this. <laughs> May day. It's going to come to the point most likely where we will be endangered of those things, but that won't be the first time that ever happened either, will it? We have to hold up the truth. As a result, the acceptance of relativism has become a part of our spiritual lives, I'm afraid to say. We start measuring what we're doing and considering ourselves more liberal or more conservative. We start trying to measure ourselves by the things that we don't allow or the things that we do allow instead of accepting the truth, the Word of God, and Jesus Christ as Savior. For you and I cannot save ourselves. We fall short anywhere on the line. Anywhere you place us, we fall short. And if we start constantly trying to measure ourselves by ourselves, then we are certainly in error. Let's look at the teachings of Jesus for a moment in closing. John 14 and 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We could look at that line and we could try to place ourselves anywhere on that line, but if we're not in Jesus Christ, brethren, we're lost. If we try to accept any other way to heaven except Jesus Christ, we'll come up short. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 8, 32 said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I find here that I can know the truth. I can know Him. I can come into fellowship with Him. I can know Him. And He can know me. Furthermore, He says, by knowing Him, I'm set free. Free of what? Well, I believe I'll be free of the law of sin and death. That I can have heaven. Because I know Him. Because I can look to Him, the author and finisher of my faith. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. 
I've said in business meeting at home with our, our brethren, and I've said this, and I'll say it to you this evening. If we're not a pillar in the ground of the truth, I don't know what we are, but we're not the church. That's what the church is to be. A place to build upon. But the truth is Jesus Christ, and we build upon him. And we must be the pillar and ground of the truth. Well, if I am a pillar of the ground of the truth, then I hold to the truth and I point people to him. Not to some relative society, not to some relative action of society that has been constantly changing over 400 years or 500 years. I go back and I go back to the restoration of the Bible and try to restore to the word of God and I try to embrace him. If I'm a pillar and the ground of the truth, 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. I'm thankful that you and I can know the truth. I'm thankful that Jesus is absolute truth. If he is truth, there's no sin in him. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And you and I can know him and can be sanctified and cleansed in our life through his word. 1 John 1 and 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. The word is truth. I don't know about you, but I don't like change. I don't. Uh, Robert and I have had an empty nest syndrome now going on about six or seven years. <laughs> I didn't like it when the calves left the stall. I liked it when they were home. But I've had to get used to it. I don't like growing old, to be honest with you. Some aspects of it, some aspects of it I don't mind at all and I embrace, but some aspects I don't like about it, you know. Uh, your body changes. Your mind changes. <laughs> and I don't like some of those things. I don't like change at work. But I have to endure all those things. We live in a world of change. We live in a time of change. However, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're anything like me, you find that a wonderful consolation in your life. Because if he is absolute truth, then his laws never change. He never changes. He judges with impartiality. He looks at an individual, and he doesn't look at them of, of, on the outside, but he looks to the heart of an individual. He, he, he makes righteous judgments. James 1 and 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Romans 1 and 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
The quality of absolute truth that you and I can appreciate with Jesus Christ is that he never changes. However, the judgment will be made against those who hold the truth of God in unrighteousness. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And notice this phrase, please. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Brethren, we are simply creatures. We are uh, the creation of God. And we certainly cannot worship humanity. We must worship the creator. Solomon said, nothing is new under the sun. God never changes. His laws are as real today and are as true today as they are the day that they were spoken. Nothing is new under the sun. We're not inventing anything new. Another quality of absolute truth, and we'll close here in just a moment, but I want to share this with you, stability. We need stability. You need stability in your life. John the Revelator says in Revelation 16, 7, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. I've had to preach a lot of funerals. And I cling and I hold to that fact. I hold it to the fact of my own parents. I believe they were good people. I believe that they were Christian people. I believe they're Christian people, but... I can hold to this fact that true and righteous are the judgments of God. He won't make any mistakes. Pilate looked into the face of absolute truth and he chose relativism. You and I can know absolute truth and he will set us free, free of the law of sin and death. And the entire world will be judged by absolute truth. You and I are going to stand before a righteous judge his judgments will be righteous and there'll be no mistakes made. I want to share with you in closing a story of what happened to me recently in counsel with a person that their life was in a complete mess and a complete turmoil. And they came to me and they wanted to discuss some of the events in their life. I believe what she wanted more than anything out of me was me just to bend an ear and allow her to talk. And I did that. I allowed her to talk. And she started in telling me all of the things that was going wrong in her life. She told me, she said, I'm living with a guy. We're not married. The boy that I've got, it's not his child. She says, I don't think that this guy that I'm living with is a bad guy, but I don't think he really loves my boy either. And you know, my mother's, my mother just died recently, she said. And she said, I know that I'm not living right, and I know that I'm in sin. And I'm listening. And she tells me, 
but I know everything's going to be okay because God said it would be okay. I looked at her and I told her, I said, sweetheart, everything's not going to be okay. People don't want to hear that, but it's true. The very fact that God is sovereign and the very fact that he is in control and he is in control, this, he's king, he's king. And he's judge. But simply that fact alone does not mean everything's going to be okay with you. The fact of the matter is that there's going to be, and I told her, I said there's going to be a lot of people lose their soul. And it's not going to be okay. Because if you lose your soul, you've lost everything. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. A lot of people think the fact that God wants them to be happy. God wants me to be happy, she said. Doesn't he want me to be happy? God wants you to be happy. But I'm going to tell you, he's not going to sacrifice heaven for your happiness. You and I have a choice. We have a choice of either coming to him and accepting absolute truth. An unchanging God whose judgments are righteous and true. Or we can continue to live in relativism and expect and hope against hope. Tonight I'm asking you to come to the Savior. I'm not asking you to come for reformation of your life. You can't do that. You could work for the rest of your life trying to reform your life. You could pluck up all the bad habits in your life that you have, and you could still just have a mess. I'm not asking you to come for simply to reform a character. I'm asking you to come to the Savior, to the absolute truth, to one who can save you because he is truth. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?